So I feel like I need to do a little um, college football pastoral care this morning, uh, just to put that out there. My team got lucky, I'll be the first to admit it. Vanderbilt beat Florida in Nashville. I mean, how about that? Um, see Tate Rich in the back, I'm very happy about that. Um, Tennessee fans, I love you, I don't know what to say. It was just a, um, a surprise. That was uh, uh, Ole Miss fans, same thing. But it's amazing how the, the college football season just kind of takes us through all the range of emotions and um, I'm still wearing purple because we, knock on wood, are still rolling here. So today we're, um, we're finishing our sermon series um, focusing on the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, from Galatians 5. And so we've been talking about this for, for a number of, of weeks now. We've said that, you know, when we stay in Christ, when we remain in Christ, then these are the virtues that we are able to live out. So Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by the way that they treat other people, by the way that they talk, by the way that they interact, by the way that they, that they treat other people. And I always like Maya Angelou's famous line. She said, you might forget what somebody said and you might forget what somebody did, but you'll never, ever, ever forget how somebody made you feel. And I think that that's true in life. Um, this is uh, Thanksgiving week, and, and next Sunday we begin the Advent season with um, services and then hanging of the greens at five o'clock, the tasting party, uh, bring cookies, brownies, uh, 545 down in, in Georgia Hall. It's a great tradition here as we decorate the sanctuary for Christmas. But some of you have heard um, my favorite Thanksgiving story uh, at some point over the years, but uh, this is a good one, and I, and I love it. It's about this guy, that this couple that lived out in Phoenix, and they're Grown children would never come and visit them. And so one, one the dad had kind of had enough, so he picks up the phone, he calls his son in New York, and he says, hey, son, I just want you to know your mother and I, after 35 years, are getting a divorce. We don't like each other, we don't like being around each other, um, and, and, and we're just we're sick of each other, so we're getting a divorce. And I'm, you call your sister, you tell her, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm washing my hands of it. He calls his sister, they're not getting a divorce, I'll fix this. And so she calls the dad, she says, dad, you and mom are not getting a divorce, you stay right there, we, we'll be there tomorrow. And so the old man kind of hung up the phone. He looked at his wife. He had a smirk on his face. He said, sweetie, they're finally coming for Thanksgiving. And this year they're paying their own way. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that story. But whether you're traveling or hosting family, um, whether you have that mindset that you've just got to endure for three days, you know, some people have that. I hope you can have a great Thanksgiving and, and be grateful um, for all your blessings. In Galatians 5, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the marks of a healthy Christian. If you're anchored in Christ, this is how you live. This is what you embody. And remember, when we started this series, I told you, I said, pick three of those that you need to work on. And then of the three, pick one that you really need to work on. And here's my challenge for you for the Christmas season. Whatever that one is, if it's peace, if it's joy, if it's kindness or, 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 or self-control, do whatever you can this Advent season to give yourself a chance to live that and experience that on a regular basis. Whatever it is. And everybody has the one that, that really sticks out in their mind that, that's a, the one of the fruits of the Spirit that we need to work on. I'm teaching a, a course this fall at Vanderbilt, and the course is titled Jesus in American Culture. Um, teach at Vandy in the Falls. Don't really have time to do it, but I enjoy it. And, and the first paper that I asked them to write this year, their midterm, was tell me what you think Jesus' primary mission or motive was. In other words, what was his platform? 
What was he all about? Why did he come? Um, what did he seek to do? And so as you can imagine, I got lots of different answers to that question. Some people said he was a healer, he healed people. Some people said he was a teacher, a rabbi. Some said that Jesus didn't intend to be political, but he was uh, viewed that way and therefore he was executed and put to death by the Roman authorities. Some said he came to save the lost. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. He came to lead a spiritual revolution, um, one focused on the heart. But as you can imagine, our discussions have been very very interesting. Most of the students are Christian, some of them are not. And we've been talking about Jesus. And, and one of the things we've talked about is how have we tried to Americanize Jesus? In other words, how have we taken Jesus and tried to fit him into our American culture in a way that is convenient to us? What do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. Years ago, I was reading a, a memoir by a guy named Eugene Peterson, pastor, uh, professor, uh, a great book. He actually passed away a couple years ago. And this is what he said. And this really just kind of stopped me in my tracks. He said, I love being an American. I love this place in which I have been placed. It's language, it's history, it's energy, but I don't necessarily love the American way. It's culture, it's values. I don't love the rampant consumerism that treats God as a product to be marketed. I don't love the dehumanizing ways that turn men and women and children into impersonal roles and causes and statistics. I don't love the competitive spirit that often treats other people as rivals and, and even as enemies. And I think the reason this spoke to me is because I love living in this country. That's one of the things that I'm thankful for, is to live in this country. I love the fact that we live in a country that's about freedom and liberty and justice for all. I, I love what the founders I think meant when they said that we are all endowed with certain inalienable rights and among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, everybody pursues it differently. Uh, Arthur Brooks had an interesting article this week that said we're pursuing happiness in all the wrong places. It's worth looking up. But, but in this country, people can come here with little or nothing and build a life. Um, the American dream has always been that the, the context of your birth does not determine your destiny. That if you work hard and sacrifice and get an education, then the sky is the limit. You know, capitalism's not perfect, but guess what? It's lifted a lot of people out of poverty and given them chances that they never would have had otherwise. Do people get left behind? Of course they do. But in America, we believe in opportunity and progress. But this is what I want to say. Not everything that happens in our culture is, is Christian. And as our culture has become more self-absorbed, you know, largely driven by social media and people saying, look at me, look at me, Jesus's teachings, I think, have become that much more important. In his gospel, Luke tells us that Jesus was going to Jerusalem and he, he was close to Samaria and he encountered 10 lepers in a village. And he told them to go and show themselves to the priests and they were all healed, they were all made well. But only one of the 10, a Samaritan, turned around and gave thanks. What happened to the other nine? Were they not thankful? They'd just been healed, but they didn't say thank you. They just pressed on. You know, so many times in life, I think we can be like the other nine lepers. Things happen to us and, and, and we're grateful. Somebody helps us out, somebody does something for us but we don't stop and express gratitude. Why? As we approach Thanksgiving, I've been given, trying to give some thought to what are the basic reasons that we often don't live a grateful life? 
what are the things that keep us from being grateful? And so I've been thinking about this and I wanna share some of my answers with you because as we approach Thanksgiving, I think first of all, we need to identify what keeps us from being grateful so that we can then live a life that's more full of gratitude. Does that make sense? So here's the first thing that I would say. The first thing that I would say is that in a country where we work really hard and we're always striving and we're thinking ahead, I think sometimes we have a hard time turning off that drive. In other words, we are programmed from a very young age to keep striving, to keep achieving, to keep earning, to keep producing. And when you have that mindset, I think it can be very hard sometimes to just stop and give thanks for the blessings that you have. Does that make sense? I know many people who've tried to retire in life, but they, they can't. It's not because they need the money. It's just because they, they haven't been able to transition to a different way of, of being apart from their career. You know, in this country, what's it, when you meet somebody, what's the first thing you're often asked? What do you do, right? So for many people, many American people, we are defined by our careers and what we do. And there's nothing wrong with that except we are more than what we do. You know, I'm more than a minister and a, and a professor. I'm a husband, uh, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a brother. And for whatever reason, in our culture, we often don't emphasize these other things nearly enough. Um, and, so, and so we need to remember that we're not just what we do, we wear all these other hats and those hats are really important. We are also children of God, made in God's image, followers of Jesus, and, and our life is not just our work. That's just a part of who we are. But I think sometimes we can't turn that role, that drive off, and that keeps us from being grateful. My second thought this morning, we often fail to be grateful because we now live in a time or a culture that is very becoming more and more self-absorbed and it's largely driven by social comparison. And remember these words, social comparison is the primary thief of joy. We look around and we see what everybody else has and we wonder why, why we don't have it. And, and we always compare up, never down, right? Somebody has a bigger house, our house feels inadequate. Somebody goes on a fancy trip, we get jealous. Somebody gets a new car, we want a new car. Here's a good one. If somebody gets Taylor Swift tickets, we want Taylor Swift tickets. That was crazy stuff this week, by the way. But remember these words. Social comparison is the primary thief of joy. There will always be people who have more and always people who have left. Less. Gratitude will always happen when you stop and count your blessings and you don't spend all of your time wishing you had more. A number of years ago, I was, um, I was kind of ready to, to take a break from the Green Hills bubble. I was restless. Many of the things that were bothering me were superficial, and I knew that. And so, so here's what I did. I went on a trip to Guatemala with a group from this church. I went on a trip to Guatemala, and, and it cured me. Because in that week, we spent time with people who had little or nothing. They lived in huts. Woodmont's been building a bunch of houses thanks to the generosity of this congregation. So some of them had cinder block houses and they were very grateful for it. But here are these people with little to nothing, no running water, living in these villages, and they had more joy than me. What's wrong with that? There's a trip going this spring. If you don't have plans in March, I'd tell you to go. It'll change your life. It'll, get, it'll bring you joy that you've never, ever experienced before. Third reason that we often fail to be grateful is that I think we're not very good sometimes at self-control. And remember, 
generosity, gentleness and self-control, the final two fruits of the Spirit. But specifically what I want to talk about this morning is controlling our thoughts. Um, part of the problem is we now live in a culture that's very distracted. Research shows that attention spans have shortened. And, and I think a lot of this is because of our smartphones and sound bites. We email, we text, we do social media, we web surf. We do all this at one time. And, and the bottom line is we have a much more difficult time now focusing on one thing for a longer period of time. And so there's an author named Bob Goff. Some of you are in the Connections class that meets after the bridge. And you've all been reading Bob Goff's new book called Undistracted. This is what Goff says. He says, the clarity of purpose, undistracted energy, selfless love, and unselfish pursuits that you bring to the world will be your legacy. Everything else will look like a distraction by comparison. We have to live focused lives where we pay attention to the things that really matter most. Uh, something else Goff says in that book, and I love this, by the way. He says, there are two kinds of people in the world. I'm going to stand up for this. Two kinds of people in the world. There are people who walk in the room and say, here I am. And there are people who walk in the room and say, there you are. People who walk in the room and say, here I am. Aren't you glad I'm here? And there are people who walk in the room and say, there you are. And I'm going to pay attention to you. Which kind of person do we want to be? Which kind of person do we want to be known as? Are we always focused on self? Or are we paying attention to other people? Um, it's really hard to preach on self-control during uh, Thanksgiving week because we're all about to eat a lot and, and travel and be with family. And some people would say, well, I'm with family. I got to drink a lot. Um, and, and, but, but here's the deal. We have to learn to control our thoughts. Um, one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I've preached on it over the years, and I read it around Thanksgiving time, is Paul's letter to the Philippians. This letter, Paul wrote from prison he was in despair. He had every reason to be down, disturbed, hope, un, not hopeful, pessimistic, but that's not the epistle he wrote. He says this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if you can do this, he says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your lives in Christ Jesus. And then you remember he goes into that part where he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing. He says, that's what you got to focus on. Don't focus on the negative don't focus on what's wrong. Don't focus on the complaining. Don't focus on your fears all the time. Focus on the good because the good is there. And so Paul knew one thing. We choose our attitude and our focus in life. If we look for the negative in the world, we'll find it. But if we look for the positive, what's good, we'll find it. And since our lives on earth are short, why do so many of us always want to look for what's wrong? Why do so many of us always want to say this? I'm afraid of this and this might happen and this might happen instead of stopping and saying, you know, life's never going to be perfect ever, but life's pretty good. And we have a lot of blessings, which leads me to my last point this morning. The final reason why I think we often fail to, to show gratitude, to be grateful is because we're not very good or I can't speak for everybody, but many of us are not very good at the concept of just being content. It's okay to stop and be content. You know, in that passage, a few verses later, Paul says, not that I'm referring to being in need. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, 
I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so one of the geniuses of the Apostle Paul, who outside of Jesus was the most important figure in the history of Christianity, is he knew that if you can control your thoughts and if you can focus on your blessings, that life will be so much better than always trying to identify what's wrong. And it's the things that we take for granted. It's our health, it's a home, it's family, friends, church, kids, work. Um, these are the things that we need to hone in on Thanksgiving and say, thank you, God, for the things that I have. When you grow up a preacher's kid, you, you, you hear things that your, your parent used growing up, and this is one of those pieces that drives home that, uh, that, that, that message, and so I'm gonna kind of close with it. Somebody once sat down and they wrote these words, said, I'm thankful for the wife who says it's leftovers tonight because that means that she's home with me and not with someone else. I'm thankful for the husband who sits on the sofa like a couch potato and watches college football all day because it means he's with me and he's not out at the bars. I'm thankful for the teenagers who's complaining about doing dishes because it means that she is with her family and not out on the streets. I'm thankful for paying taxes because it means that I'm employed. I'm thankful for the mess to clean up after a party because it means that I've been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little bit snug because it means I've had enough to eat. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing and windows that need cleaning and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining that I hear about the government and during elections because it means we have freedom of speech. I'm thankful for my heating bill. It means that I'm warm. I'm thankful for the lady behind me at the bridge who sings loud and off key because it means I can hear. I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours. It means that I'm alive. And finally, I'm thankful for too much email. I'm really not, by the way, because it means that I have friends who care about me and want to connect. So this Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving, I hope that you can slow down this week and I hope that you can count your blessings in life. You can pay attention to the things that you often overlook, that you can practice this, con this, this, this concept of being content. Because I promise you, there will always be things that we wish were different. There will always be things that, that drive us crazy and bother us. But we all have so many blessings, and this is the time to thank God for those blessings. Let's, let's say a prayer this morning. Loving God, as we approach Thanksgiving, I lift up everybody who's here and pray for those who are traveling. And I pray, Lord, that you will help all of us in a culture that always seems to be going 100 miles an hour and, and pushing us to do more and accomplish more, that you'll help us to slow down and be grateful, that we can live in the moment, that we can practice contentedness, and that we can acknowledge all the blessings that we have. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving.